Let's pray for this morning, ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Father, uh, as I have the opportunity to share your word, I know that, that I don't have um, the credentials to be able to speak on your behalf. But because of your son, Jesus, we have the opportunity to humbly look at your word and then look at our life. And would you help us this morning to have the courage to apply it how you would see fit. So we submit ourselves to you. Lord, we love you. We welcome you. In Christ's name, amen. Let me begin this morning by asking you a simple question. Do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a vision for your life? Maybe a picture of, of where you're going. Maybe you've asked that question in life before of where am I headed? Where am I headed? I think in one way or another, we oftentimes have ideas about how things are going to work out in our life, in one way or another. It certainly tends to be the case in my life. Uh, I tend to be somebody who, uh, if I come up with a goal for my year, which I, which I always do, some different goals, or I come up with an idea, I always want to give it a try. You know, at work, I'm always trying to create something new. Uh, at home, I'm always trying to make some improvements. Um, I've even been known to go into my wife's kitchen and reorganize it, which at least in my home, the kitchen is sacred space. And yet I've got a vision, an idea about how things could be better. I'll just let, leave you to guess how well that goes over. Um, but it's great. You know, I, I, you know, we all have goals and ideas, ways of doing things that we come up with. And the ways and the ideas and the visions that we come up with tend to be the ones that we like the best, right? I like my ideas. You like your ideas. Uh, we oftentimes think that our ideas are reasonable to us, even if they're not reasonable to everyone else. And they're oftentimes the things that make sense to us. And we obviously have a natural attachment since they're our ideas, right? And to be perfectly honest, personally, once I get a vision or an idea, an expectation into my head, it is really hard at times to let it go or to have someone else come in and change it. Um, and I don't think that I'm unusual in that. I have a feeling a, a lot of you could probably identify with that. But this isn't reserved for only the big things in our life. This is for those specific circumstances as well. In fact, I think the more specific your situation is, the more specific the circumstances, the more specific our ideas and our expectations become, right? Uh, if uh, you think about your morning commute, you have some expectations about how that's supposed to work, right? Mine is 14 minutes, door to door, right? I've got some expectations. If I was to say McDonald's, you have some pictures, right? Some expectations of how things should work. Things should be fast, simple, hot, and unhealthy, right? Not to mention cheap, you know? Uh, if I was to say college, marriage, right? A Sunday morning, uh, retirement. We have some dreams. We have some visions about how we want things to go. Visiting your in-laws, right? You've got some pictures about how things are going to go. 
or are not going to go, right? You know, you have some of those things. Uh, not that I've ever experienced that, Brian, but, you know, I've, I've heard of other people out there. Uh, <clears throat> anyways, and for myself, when those ideas, plans, and visions get changed or turned down, those can be really difficult moments, right? We can really struggle. We can get frustrated, disappointed, confused. And if that frustration lasts long enough, even better, right? This past summer, as I was working outside doing those different projects in my yard like all of us guys do, I uh, got into my head this idea that, you know, I could probably put a, a driveway right up through here, and uh, that would eliminate a lot of mowing for me, you know, but more than that, it would, it would be really convenient. I mean, we could get out of the car and walk straight up to the house, no problem, and, uh, and I thought this was going to be a great investment. This is a good idea, and really quickly, that idea went to a dream that went to an expectation that became a vision. And before long, I was calling up a contractor in our church, inviting him to come out, take a look at it, give me an estimate. And he gives me an estimate, A, B, C, and D. This guy had glowing recommendations, so I'm thinking this is going to work. And in that moment, thankfully, I did what hopefully most of us who are, you know, followers of Christ are doing is praying about those big decisions, right? As I'm praying about that decision, I sense that the Lord's telling me, no, that don't go for this right now. It's not the right timing or something. It's just, just no. And I was disappointed. I hate having to let those kinds of things go and, and so forth. And, and so I call back up the contractor and ask him to call me back because I couldn't get a hold of him. Uh, like every contractor, you know, they're, they're never there, you know, right by their phone. But anyway, so it takes about a day and a half for him to call me back. And, and during that time, I'm really struggling. And so I'm thinking, you know what, maybe there's a way. You know, maybe there's a way that we can, you know, work something out. Maybe we can work on a different project or something. And so when he calls me back up, I, I, I say, well, why don't you come on back out? Well, you know, we'll take, you know, a look at a different project. You know, I won't be doing that one. God said no, you know, so, you know, come on back out. So we, he comes out. We take a look at another project. But while he was there, he brought his surveying equipment just to, you know, double check the other project for down the road. And as he's taking a look at it, I'm watching him work, and I'm sitting over there thinking, and the wheels are turning. I'm going, you know what? We can do this. You know, we won't do option A. We'll just do option D. And, and as the wheels are turning, and he's talking to me and so forth, I go, well, you know, why don't you just let me know when a good opening would be in your schedule, you know? And, and he goes, well, I probably won't have an opening until, like, October, November. I thought, good, that'll give me enough time to let go of this idea, you know, and really, you know, just let it go and so forth. And he calls me that following Monday and says, I've got a cancellation. <laughs> and without talking to my wife, I say, go for it. <laughs> Before I know it, I've got this piece of equipment in my yard, plowing stuff up. And I, and, and I go ahead, I leave him there. I'm at work. I get another phone call. And this time he lets me know, we've hit a snag. It wasn't a small snag, though. It was a boulder. And it wasn't just a boulder. It was a boulder. <laughs> and it wasn't just one. <laughs> it was two. 
It was three. It turns out that the town I lived in named Glenrock has a good name for a good reason. It is boulder after boulder, and what was supposed to be one day of digging turns into two, and two turns into three, and by the Thursday of that week, I am standing in a crater that used to be my yard. And I am sitting there thinking to myself and praying and wondering, God, why didn't I just listen? Why didn't I just listen to you? Why didn't I just submit? Why didn't I just let go of that idea? That was a difficult moment. I was far more frustrated than when I had ever had to let go of the idea. Ever been there? Ever been there? Ever had a picture of how things were supposed to go and God said no? Maybe you got into a relationship and you knew it wasn't necessarily a good idea. You know, it wasn't necessarily in line with what God's opinion was. And with your mom and your grandma and your dad, they were all telling you this is a bad idea. You know, this is not the one. And your grandma likes everyone, right? For those of you who are younger, you just got the Justin Bieber reference. Your mom likes everyone. But anyways, but, uh, but did you listen? No, right? No, because you figured this was your best shot at achieving the happiness that you wanted. At achieving the picture and the expectations of your life that you wanted. And to achieve that pictures and expectations of your life, there was no way that you were going to give this up. And in your mind, you're thinking, this is as good as it gets. You know, he's not perfect. She's not perfect. But they're good enough for me. Right? We've been there. We've been there. Whether it was a relationship or an idea, a vision, a picture of, excuse me, of something that you wanted, where you wanted your life to go in this direction, and God said, No. And yet, it seems impossible for there to be someone better or there to be something better or for God's plan in some shape, some fashion to be better, right? What do we do in those moments? How can you and I respond to those moments in a way that can deal with the frustrations and make a wise decision? If we're already standing in that crater, what do we do now? What do we do now? Well, if you're a follower of Christ, this morning I want to show you how you and I can deal with those moments and climb out of those craters. And if you're in here this morning and and maybe you're still not sure, you know, really what you believe about God, I, I want to invite you along the journey too to see, you know, how a follower of Christ can, not that anyone ever gets this perfect, but can respond in those difficult moments. And what you see this this morning from the life of the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 16, we're going to be looking at that this morning, we find Paul. And in this passage, you know, if you understood the role or the life of the Apostle Paul, you know that this is a guy. This is a guy that's after God's heart. But he steps onto the world scene far from that. In fact, he steps onto the the world stage as being somebody who's an enemy of this little movement of people that are following some guy named Jesus. And they're claiming that he was raised from the dead. 
But it's through this amazing turn of events that Paul has this conversion experience that's recorded in Acts chapter 9. And he does this 180. And he begins to take this Jesus movement to new heights. Things begin to change from a couple of thousand Jews to thousands of Jews and Gentiles, or non-Jews, right, in the region of Palestine. But Paul, he has this burden to see things go even farther. And so he takes a trip, and he shares the message of Christ with these cities north of Palestine. And since that went so well, he assembles a team of guys with the intention of taking the message of the good news, what we call the gospel, to the next step. And the next logical geographical step is what we see happening in Acts chapter 16. And we pick things up in verse 6. It says this, and when they, when they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troyes. Now, pause here for a second. Because although we can read that fairly quickly, there's a lot going on here. There's something that's very incredible and very curious about these circumstances. Paul is there with Silas and Timothy and maybe some others who have set out from the city of Iconium. And they are figuring on taking the next logical geographical step into the Roman province of Asia. Right? Not the continent of Asia, a different set of labels. And they're looking to take the message of Christ there. But before they get there uh, to share the gospel, the Holy Spirit says... No. He says no. In fact, in verse 6, it says he forbid them, right? Now, as someone who grew up in the Christian and missionary alliance, there's something that, about this verse that just doesn't quite sit right. I mean, this is a denomination I grew up in that was committed to going into all the world to share the message of Christ. And so the idea that the Holy Spirit is, is you know, telling Paul no to sharing the gospel here, I mean, it makes me like want to look at my translation and see, do I, is this like some Jehovah Witness thing? Or what, did, did I pick up the wrong Bible this morning? Are my glasses on right? Did I read that right? And yet, as we ask that question, did the Holy Spirit really forbid Paul from speaking the gospel in that region? The answer is yes. Yes. And this is one of those key moments where we need to remember that it is not man, it's not Paul who builds the church. Christ is. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Christ is speaking, and he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The fulfillment of the Great Commission, the growth of any church anywhere, and the sharing of the gospel is to be done under the direction and the authority of Jesus Christ. And so does God say no to Paul here? Absolutely. Why? Because he has a different plan. After all, man's good is oftentimes the enemy of God's best. And so note what Paul does here. What does he do? He submits. And he begins to go through the province of Galatia, in the county, if you will, of Phrygia. 
And by foot, they travel over 150 miles north through all kinds of terrain and wilderness until they come to the region of Mishia. And specifically, they come up to the area called Bithynia. Now, if you're a planner, you're looking at Bithynia and you're thinking, this is a pretty good option. This place has a lot of port cities, has access to the the Black Sea, would be a great spot to be able to send missionaries all over the place. And so they actually think that this is a pretty good option too, which is why it says that they attempted to enter, but again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And at this point, if you and I were in young Timothy's shoes, we'd be thinking, man, did we pick the right leader, right? I mean, this doesn't seem to be going so well. We've gone hundreds of miles, and we have accomplished nothing, right? Nothing. I mean, maybe Paul's not as close to God as he used to be. Maybe he's having trouble listening. I mean, following the Holy Spirit can't be easy. Maybe Paul's just kind of lost his touch. Maybe that's it. No, that's not it. (laughs) At least not here. God has a plan. And Paul isn't stepping out of it. He's stepping into it. And as he's stepping into God's plan, it's for God's use and for Paul's good. Now, Paul didn't have the privilege that we have of having the whole New Testament to take a look at. But since we do, we can see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, that God didn't forget about Bithynia. God didn't forget about Asia. Because in that letter, Peter actually specifically addresses Christians in both of those regions. And yet, Paul wasn't the person to carry the gospel to those regions. God's vision is greater than we can imagine. And it's always, always trustworthy. God didn't forget about them. He hasn't forgotten about us. And so God says to Paul here, no, right, twice now. And so Paul and his team, they turn west. And they walk another 150 miles on foot, not stopping to share the gospel in Mishia either. And they enter the city of Troyes. And if you're reading this document and you were somebody living in the first century A.D., you'd be thinking two things. You'd be thinking, number one, this is a really long journey. (laughs) And number two, this is a great option. Choice is the best option yet. I mean, this is as good as it's going to get. Uh, Choice is an amazing place of, of the Roman colony being centered there. It's a, it's a port city that everybody knew about. It had access to all the major seaports. This, this is a great spot. So let's see what happens next. Verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So imagine having walked from Mequon to Chicago, and from Chicago to Detroit, only to find out that you actually need to get on a boat and sail to Cleveland. I mean, my feet hurt just thinking about it. (laughs) This isn't easy, and yet they don't even seem to flinch. 
In fact, the word immediately here gives a picture that Paul is grabbing his stuff and throwing it into a bag, right? They immediately go out. They hire a boat. Apparently, they meet Luke, uh, who wrote this along the way, because things go from uh, a they to a we. But notice, immediately, they submit. And they drop everything that they're doing, and they go. There's a sense of urgency in their obedience. But the bigger news in this passage is that as Paul does this, we're able to look back uh, from the 20th century and realize that this choice, this singular choice, is a change in the course of history. Because things move from Asia Minor into the continent of Europe. The gospel moves into Europe, and Western culture has never been the same since. This is huge. God says no to a smaller idea because he's saying yes to a bigger vision. A new threshold has been crossed. One scholar commented that when it comes to our submission, great issues and untold blessings may depend on it. And this is where I believe that we can have our takeaway from this morning. That in every last situation where you and I, where we're struggling to surrender expectations, or that God has simply said no and we're frustrated, or that we're standing in a crater because we've made a choice that we were going to do things our way, we're faced with one single question. What will we do now? What will we do now? Well, let me tell you this. I believe that our submission always leads to greater vision. Our submission to God in any circumstance, any situation, always, always leads to greater vision. Every time. And as hard as that is to believe, moment by moment, and have faith in God's plan, that his vision, his way of doing things is better, we are always able to look back at those moments and see that our submission and a bigger vision went hand in hand. And whether it's with the course of our life or a simple circumstance, God's way is always best. And it leads to something better. Not to mention our peace and our joy. A pastor friend of mine says that no one has ever opposed God and won. And no one has ever submitted to Christ and lived to regret it. No one's ever opposed God and won, and no one's ever submitted to Christ and regretted it. Now, as true as that statement is, it is really hard to believe. I think it's one of the hardest things to believe moment by moment in our life, isn't it? Why? Well, because God's greater vision is rarely easy. It's rarely easy. And it's rarely what the world would call greater, especially in terms of maybe speed, size, and numbers. And so naturally, things can, not always, but things can with this grind against our ideas, our vision, our way of doing things, the way that makes sense to us. But greater visions rarely make sense at the beginning. 
That's why the old saying is about having 20-20 hindsight, not 20-20 foresight, right? Over uh, 10 years ago, my grandfather, who was retired, living in Ohio, was approached by my aunt and uncle, who uh, are missionaries to the Navajo people in Arizona. And he was approached by them, uh, and they shared with him just his, their need for help on the reservation. And my grandfather, uh, who was, you know, about 70 years old at this point, a former pastor, had been involved in Christian radio and so forth, had spent all of his life in Ohio, all of his adult life in Ohio. And yet, as he heard about this need, he searched the scriptures. And as he read this particular passage, God put a burden on his heart to go. And he and my grandmother, at 70, at 70, sold their home that they had lived in forever, this beautiful home, and they moved to Arizona. That move, that submission cost them financially, relationally. It cost them their comfort. And, and it even in some ways affected their health. And yet I can tell you, my grandparents wouldn't have traded that for the world. They wouldn't have traded it for the world because they embraced a bigger vision that was well worth the submission. And as I, you know, talk to them, although my grandfather's gone to be with the Lord, they have told me story after story that some of their best years in their life and in ministry came from that choice to submit, to trade it all, to trade it all. Listening to God is always worth it in hindsight, not with worldly standards, but an eternal one. But do we believe that? Do we really believe that God's bigger vision for us, that he has something to begin with, that's planned, that it's maybe better than the vision we've come up with for ourselves. It's hard. It's hard. But you know, as I've talked with many people who are realizing their need to submit to the Lord and realizing that bigger vision, oftentimes they walk away worth it, realizing just how worthwhile the choice was. But it's oftentimes not easy. Many of them have realized that they need to stop cohabitating with somebody. Many of them have realized that they need to stop cheating their boss and work hard. Many of them have realized that they need to finally have a conversation with someone. Maybe it's forgiving. In the text here, the specific application deals with sharing the gospel. I mean, are we even looking to take that step with a friend or anyone? Whatever it may be, it will always, in some shape, a bigger vision will always, in some shape or fashion, result in working out the little piece of God's plan, God's kingdom, that he's entrusted to you and to me. But again and again, submission always leads to greater vision. Paul had no idea. He had no idea of the impact of his obedience. He didn't realize that, that uh, he was going to end up opening up the door to the gospel in Europe. He didn't realize the many, many different people that were going to come to know him as a result, uh, come to know Christ as a result. But he also didn't know about the suffering and the jail time that he was going to have to spend 
as a result of embracing God's vision for reaching the Macedonians. God's vision is rarely easy, but it's always better. And I know most of us won't be called to sell everything and to move across the country or the world, but if you will submit your life to the Lord, I guarantee that he will find a way to use it for good and to build his kingdom. Amen? Amen. So let me share with you, because the question that should naturally rise out of that should be the question of, how do I submit? How do I submit? What does that look like? We live in a world of rioting and protests. We don't have much of an idea about submission, right? Even the word just leaves a bad taste in our mouths. You know, it doesn't, you know we just don't like it. But if we need to grow in this area as individuals, churches, or culture, then let's take a look at some of the things that Paul's uh, example can show us here about it, about submission. Um, Let's look at number one. Number one, Paul and the team, they have an attitude that they want to please Jesus. Submission starts in the heart. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I want to invite you to jot this question down for later. That when you look at an area of your life that maybe you're struggling to submit to the Lord in, ask yourself this question. Who am I trying to please? Who am I trying to please? It takes some real honesty to answer that question, but it's very telling. Number two, they have a sensitivity to the Lord. Did you notice the, maybe the little piece of theology that's woven throughout this text? The, the, the piece of theology that the Holy Spirit really is fully God, right? As they talk about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and then God, right? It, you see this woven throughout the text. And if we're going to make it our aim to please the Lord, then we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Dallas Willard was famous for saying that hurry is the enemy of spirituality. Hurry is the enemy of spirituality. Are we living our lives in a constant hurry? Or do we make time and space to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's promptings? It certainly um, takes wisdom and discernment to know if it's the Lord's whisper or if it's last night's pizza. But even that's true for Paul in the text here. Even with a a vision from God, it says that Paul concluded, or he gathered, right, that God was calling him to Macedonia. We need to be discerning. But it starts with sensitivity, with sensitivity to the Lord's leading. So jot down the second question. Are you creating space to be sensitive to the Spirit of God? Are you and I, are are you creating space to be sensitive to the Spirit of God? Number three, they obeyed immediately. Every time, every time they obey immediately. It's one of the big things that you can see throughout this passage. And once uh, you and I realize that the Lord is speaking, that's our choice. We need to step out in faith and obey. Does planning still matter? Absolutely. You know, Paul didn't fly to Macedonia, you know. Uh, it, it takes a plan. Absolutely. But we need to obey. 
And we don't need to, you know, do a show of hands this morning, but I'm sure many of us have realized that when we wait on obeying something that the Lord's put on our hearts, it never works out very well. And the longer that we'll entertain not trusting the Lord in something or doing something that's wrong, the more likely it is that we're going to give in. It's almost as if the vision of submitting to God is always moving closer or further away. It never stays still. Never. So ask this third question. Is there anything that you're waiting to submit to God in? Is there anything you're waiting to submit to the Lord in? If there is, friend, let me tell you, the sooner you and I submit, the better off we'll be. There might be something that you need to come clean about. Don't wait. You might be having this growing sense of alarm that one drink always turns to two, and two always turns to three, and four is a lot more occasional than it used to be, and so on and so forth. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't let your pride tell you that you've got this under control. Listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just need to wake up and realize that we are refusing to put down the shovel while standing in a crater. And as I was standing in the crater that evening in my driveway, I was thinking to myself again and again, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I had a drive ahead of me that evening where I was going to be driving three hours to New Jersey. And all throughout that drive, I just felt that sinking weight, that feeling of, of heaviness over and over again as I was realizing I had blown it. I had really blown it. And it was my responsibility. I mean, the Lord doesn't oftentimes, like, you know, nudge me in the, wrong, in the right direction and say no to this and that, right? And yet he had in this situation. And I didn't listen. It was my fault. And over and over again, I was asking the same question question that every guy asks themselves in that moment. What am I going to do? How am I going to fix this problem? You know what the Lord reminded me of? He reminded me in that moment that I wasn't standing in the crater alone. He hadn't abandoned me. And friends, this morning, I'm here as a witness to you that he hasn't abandoned you either. Whatever the problem might be, whatever the situation, whatever the mess you might be in, he hasn't abandoned you. Instead, he's climbed down into that crater with you. He has stepped into the mess with us. He's done that as a savior to humanity, and he does that moment by moment with each and every one of his followers. That yes, absolutely, we've messed up. We've blown it. But he hasn't abandoned us. Amen? Amen. If we fix our eyes on him, if we trust in him and submit, we have an amazing opportunity to walk with him out of that pit and to embrace a bigger vision. And the one word, the one question in front of us this morning is simply this. Will 
we submit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we stand and sing this final song, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you encourage our hearts to remember that we're not in this alone? You have come down, and you are standing right beside us, inviting us to submit to you, to walk in your path, in your direction, to listen to your word, and to trust you. Father, would you give us the courage to trust you deeper than we did yesterday and to walk with you out of the crater. In Christ's name.